Welcome to the Poem of the Week. Each week, our poems are intended to help you practice the best, most current medicine by alerting you to studies that could change your practice. As usual, our host this week is National Public Radio's Dr. Michael Wilkes and Essential Evidence Senior Editor, Dr. Mark Abel. Gentlemen. Hello, Mark. How are you? Good, good. This is the first time I've recorded this from Germany. I'm working in Würzburg for a few weeks. Excellent, excellent. Good beer? Excellent beer and great food. And they have this thing called Schäufele, which is this giant piece of pork with pork cracklings on top of it. And it's part of the shoulder blade, so it's kind of shovel-shaped. And that's why they call it a little shovel, Schäufele. Wow. Something you thought you'd never learn. (laughs) I guess, uh, I guess not. Um, as a non-meat eater, uh, I would pass on that, but uh, I would definitely have a toast to you with beer. We're, we're going to talk today about something that isn't particularly serious, but is, uh, is pretty common. I'm referring to oncomycosis. Uh, this is a chronic fungal infection of the toenails or fingernails. Uh, things that cause oncomycosis include dermatophytes, most commonly tinea unguum, yeasts, and non-dermatophyte molds. Of all of those, uh, dermatophytes account for uh, nearly 75% of oncomycosis, and we get these infections through direct environmental contact. I guess think public places like showers. Oncomycosis is common. Uh, It's a global disorder. It is estimated to account for 50 to 60% of all uh, nail abnormalities. It's got a prevalence of, of about 1% to 8% in the United States. It's a pretty wide uh, estimate. Remember that the nail is a site of what they call relative immune privilege. That means it lacks effective cell-mediated immunity. In other words, it has no blood flow. So these infections are moderately difficult to control. The uh, condition most often occurs in adults, most often in men, Common clinical manifestations, uh, listeners will know, include nail discoloration, hyperkeratosis, splitting of the nail plate, discoloration, etc. It usually is benign and cosmetic, but potential complications can include pain and transmission of fungal infections to other body parts, and certainly it can wreak havoc in immune-compromised patients, causing cellulitis and the like. Factors that increase the chance of infection, like nail injury or nail disease, uh, may also increase the risk of fungal invasion. Anyways, how do we treat this? Treatment options include topical and systemic antifungals, laser treatments. Of course, if the dermatologists are involved, they've got to have something that they can do with their laser, and surgery, including removal of the toenail. You found a home, it was published in the British Journal of Dermatology. 2023. It starts on page 12. It attempts to answer the clinical question, what is the best oral monotherapy for toenail oncomycosis in adults? Mark, what do they want us to do? Yeah, this was a good study. Um, British Journal of Dermatology is a good journal. They often provide some really good clinically relevant um, updates and meta-analyses. So this was a network meta-analysis, and they were comparing individual, so single-drug oral antifungal regimens, both directly to each other and indirectly uh, for onychomycosis in adults. Like you said, the main outcome measure was something called the surface under the cumulative ranking curve, or SUCRA. And it's used in network meta-analysis 
analysis, and it's a way to estimate the likelihood that a regimen was most likely to be effective or, for harms, most likely to cause harms. And it's a pretty standard measure. We used it in uh, analysis we're doing. The researchers identified a total of 21 studies that compared different agents. The study quality was kind of mixed. A lot of the studies didn't mask participants and or physicians. Now, they didn't provide an overall assessment of the quality of each study, but when I took a look, I would say moderate to high risk of bias for a lot of the studies. This was not an industry-sponsored meta-analysis, but a lot of the studies uh, that go into it were. The highest complete cure rate at one year was found for 250 milligrams of terbinafine once a day for 12 weeks, then no treatment for 12 weeks, and then another four weeks of the 250 terbinafine once daily. This was something new to me. I hadn't really ever tried that where you have this waiting period and then another sort of boosted uh, month of therapy. That had about an 83% chance of being the best treatment. The second best looked a lot like it, but it was only eight weeks initially, and then 12 weeks off, and then four weeks on. The third best was albiconazole, a new and quite expensive one for 36 weeks. Um, Terbinafine 250 once daily for 24 weeks had the highest likelihood of mycological cure. We've been talking about clinical cure, which I think is what patients care more about. Uh, in terms of adverse events, terbinafine 250 once a day for 12 weeks was significantly safer than albiconazole for 36 weeks. Then another new expensive one, otesaconazole, 600 milligrams. Um, also more uh, safer than fluconazole, posaconazole. Uh, terbinafine costs pennies compared to $1,000 or more for some of these newer agents. So bottom line, based on efficacy, safety, and cost, a regimen of terbinafine 250 once daily for 8 to 12 weeks, followed by a three-month period with no therapy, and then another month of therapy was the best balance uh, for our patients. I've not heard of the uh, the taking a break either. I guess in some ways it makes some sense. I'm, I'm wondering, you, you talked about 83% chance of being the best treatment. Do, do they give any estimate of, of what the chance was uh, after these regimens of being either clinically uh, disease-free or mycobiologically disease-free? That really isn't possible, as far as I know, with a network meta-analysis to, to uh, answer that kind of a question. What you can say is this is most likely to be effective. Um, we do know that a lot of patients aren't successful in terms of clinical cure, and we do know that the recurrence rate can be fairly high. So it's something we always want to talk to our patients about and say, you know, you got to understand this may not work. We're going to have to get a blood test on you probably at some point to make sure the medicine isn't bothering your liver, and it's likely to come back after a year or two. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what your clinical experience is, but a after that sort of uh, explanation that you just gave, probably 80% of my patients sort of roll their eyes and say, I would just wear socks. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing socks is another alternative. Thanks, Mark. We'll talk with you again in a week. Sounds good. Well, that's this week's poem. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to read this and other recent poems, please go to www.essentialevidence.com. And please join us again next week for another medical poem. 